Take your Bible, if you would, and join me today in the book of Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter number 10. Yesterday, I don't know if this is something that if you're a a married man would be familiar to you, but yesterday, my wife was um, doing some work in the house and and I was elsewhere in the house. And so while she is doing some work, she has a little, a little vacuum out and she's using it on the hardwood floor. And she's in the dining room right by a window and, and I can hear the vacuum going and, and I can hear the, the little vacuum head rolling across the floor. And then I hear this, this, I know exactly what it is, okay? She's vacuuming and she's not singing or talking. All of a sudden I hear this, oh, And as soon as I heard that, I knew the vacuum was going to stop in just a moment. So, oh, turns it off. And then I hear the, 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 I knew what I was going to hear. She says, hey, do you want to come catch a frog? (laughs) Now, I didn't know she was going to say frog, okay? I thought she was going to say, do you want to come kill a bug? But she said, hey, do you want to come catch a frog? And she didn't say it like she was asking a question. She's saying, come catch the frog, okay? So I said, sure. And so I head into where Julie is and I'm going to catch the frog. So I I walk in and and I said, today is your lucky day. And I'm not talking to Julie, I'm talking to the frog, okay? (laughs) Now, now, I'm saying that because I'm going to catch a frog and it's a catch and release program. For all of you who are concerned about the frog, it's catch and release, okay? I'm going to catch the frog and I'm going to take him and place him in an environment that is uh, fit for a frog. And as soon as I see him, I know what kind of a frog he is. He's just a little tree frog. You know, they're bright green. They're they're kind of cute, all right? Some of you are like, yes, as long as they're not on me, okay? So, So there he is and I go up to him and I'm going slow. This is your lucky day. And I go up slow and I get right next to him. And I said to Julie, I said, is he alive? And she says, I don't know. Okay. And so I got close to him and I tapped him and guess what? It was not his lucky day. Okay. I know it breaks our heart, doesn't it? The frog had gone on to froggy wherever frogs go. (laughs) The frog, forgive the illustration, but the frog could not be saved. Amen? The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 continues to express his deep and abiding burden for those that could. Obviously, I'm being a little silly about the frog, but Paul's not being silly about his people, Israel. And it extends far beyond the people of Israel. It it actually extends to a word that Paul seems to prefer when referencing salvation. This salvation is extended to whosoever. And he begins to use this word over and over and over again. We see it repeatedly through the pages of the inspired writings of God the Holy Spirit. And and Paul captures the word. In the place where we pick up our passage today, in Romans chapter 10, 
Paul is going to continue on with his deep burden for the people of Israel and for the lost in general, that they might be saved. He's going to teach us about the accessibility of a whosoever will gospel. And when I speak about the accessibility of the gospel, I mean the doorway through which we enter in. You may have been in a situation, a setting before where there were many doorways and you needed to know which one. And so someone with, with careful instruction said, okay, now it's not going to be this, it's not going to be that. In fact, reject these, but I want you to go specifically to, and they give you the exact doorway by which you must enter. And the Apostle Paul is going to be with great detail and with obvious care and compassion say, this is the doorway by which whosoever will may enter in. The title of our message today is very straightforward. It is how to be saved. Now, you might be here today and you'd say, listen, pastor, I have heard that message repeatedly. I know how to be saved. Well, that's wonderful. And I mean that sincerely. I don't want to diminish that in the least. But the other thing that we're going to see and and do so by inference and then clearly do so by, by direct insight, we're going to see that that salvation provides so much more than simply the doorway into life eternal. So much more than just this opening into the family of God. Yeah, how to be saved? How do I pass from death to life? And then what does that life look like for people just like you and me. Your Bibles are open to Romans chapter 10. The first thing we're going to see where we pick it up in, in just a moment in verse number five is this, and it is a sobering realization. A sobering realization. Now listen, don't miss this today. The Apostle Paul is going to use what has been used all throughout Scripture. And that is something that if you don't come to this realization, you will then, of all men, be most miserable. This is a realization that he hammers away at. And he's not the only one that is pounding this cord. It's that which we see from the beginning of Scripture, that there has to be a means by which righteousness is attained. And you actually have two options. And the sobering realization is Paul's going to present one option. And if it's the option you choose, it is a miserable option. But he does present it as one. Let's look at this sobering realization. Look with me, if you will, at verse number five. For Moses describeth, the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Do you know what he's saying in this passage of scripture? This verse, if you just let it stand alone, I think that the Jews listening, reading this passage of scripture would say, of course, yes, Paul, we're right there with you. Yes, righteousness does come by the law. And to that, they would give a hearty amen. Yes, let's rest on that. He just said, Moses describeth the righteousness which, of the, which is of the law, that if a man which doeth those things shall live by them. They're, they're saying, of course, 
This is how you come to God, by keeping the law. And a faithful Jew believed that's exactly what they were doing. Do you remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus? He comes to Jesus, he says, good master, why are you calling anyone good? Jesus says, because there's only one good and that is God. He's trying to make a distinction. There's only one good, but this rich young ruler actually felt like he was good. Now, he begins to go through, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because I, I get the law of Moses, and I am carefully attending to the laws. Now, remember, the Jews had added layer upon layer upon layer to the law. And this young ruler felt like he was satisfactorily meeting all the demands of the law. Matthew 19, beginning in verse number 16, And behold, one came unto him and said, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. The young man, verse number 19, I find this in chapter 19, verse number 20. He said, The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus went through the basics of the law. Now, it's also insightful to me that I don't believe this young, man, this young man had faithfully honored all of the law, but by his interpretation he had. That he had always honored his parents. That he had never committed adultery. He's like, listen, I haven't. How about in your heart? Have you ever looked upon a woman with lust? Now, now he answers the question to Jesus. He says, listen, all these things have I kept from my youth up. I'm good. I'm doing what I need to do to inherit eternal life. He has a false view of both the commandments of God and the righteousness of self. Uh, How many of you ever had your mom tell you, go clean your room? And I said, all right, go clean. No, 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 you're not going outside. You're not doing anything else. Go clean your room. Your room looks like a pigsty. Whatever that looks like, that's what your room looked like to your mom. So go clean your room. So you went and cleaned your room. And then you come back in five minutes and say, done. And your mom says, hold it. Oh, you couldn't quite get out the door. And your mom walks with you to your room. And your standard of a clean room is vastly different from your mom's. Okay, what we're looking at in this passage of Scripture is the idea that, okay, my view of righteousness is vastly different from God's view of righteousness. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse number 5, Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, now listen, which if a man do, he shall live in them, I am the Lord. The rich young ruler, incidentally, went away very sad. Because he had a a sin problem with covetousness. He couldn't get around that. He couldn't answer that one satisfactorily satisfactorily in his own mind. He couldn't get around it. And so, oh, he got me on that one. And he went away very sad. I'm not doing that one to inherit eternal life. But when we get to Leviticus chapter 18, ye shall therefore keep my statutes, my judgments, which, which if a man do he shall live in them. Remember, if you're trying to make it to God by keeping the law, the standard becomes the law in its entirety. 
the whole. And if you keep all the law of God, you're good to go. And I'm telling you that there are two ways to God. You say, well, Jesus said, I am the way. That's because he knew our way. But the Bible does acknowledge if you keep all the law perfectly, you have earned heaven. How are you doing? You see, that's one way. And if you want to go down that route, like I do really good at keeping the law. Again, this then becomes this false standard. James chapter 2, verse number 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. It's an all or nothing deal. You don't get to say, come on now, who does that? Well, if you're going to get to God by the law, you. We oftentimes again use the false standard, a false measure. And most of the time, I found at least in my life personally, I use someone else as my false standard. I take someone else and I measure myself by them and I say, listen, according to to them, I'm doing better and so I think I'm doing enough. It's a false standard. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12, but they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. The standard for righteousness with God is absolute perfection. Forgive the, the, the use of the illustration because it's one that wouldn't be new to many, but it has always helped me mentally to understand the danger of a wrong standard. I don't know how many of you have actually stood there before, but it is quite striking to stand at the edge of a place that we refer to as the Grand Canyon. Uh, How many of you have never been to Grand Canyon before? Never been there? Okay, you need to go. After the service, there'll be a bus at... (laughs) It's really quite striking to stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon. And there are multiple places where you can stand where the the drop-off is significant. To stand there, the first time I saw the Grand Canyon, the word I used repeatedly was wow. And I just, I said it repeatedly. It It got kind of tiring, but I'm just standing there. And that's what continually, you just look and the grandeur, the beauty, the vastness, the chasm. Wow. Let's say you and I are standing there and as we're standing there, you're also overwhelmed by the magnitude of the canyon. And so finally you get to a place where you say, I I can't help it, I'm going to. And I say, what are you going to do? You say, I I can't not do this. I say, what? And you say, I'm going to jump over the Grand Canyon. And I look at you and I say, no, you're not. And you say, yes, seriously, I am. And you get back, you stretch, you, you get yourself ready. And you take off, and I'm just dumbfounded that you're going to try to jump over the Grand Canyon. And I'm telling you, you take off, and you're pretty fast, okay? And you take off, and you get to the edge, and you jump. And I mean in the air, you're, you're moving, your arms, your legs, like some long jumper, and you're doing really great. And there you go, and you're like, wow, he's 10 feet, he's 20 feet, he's 25 feet from the edge. It's really impressive. Then all of a sudden, you know, you're 25 feet, and then it's like, Poof, down at the bottom of the canyon. Okay. I'm just standing there and I am shocked. I Seriously, I just like, I cannot believe you cannot jump. You can't jump the Grand Canyon. I can jump the Grand Canyon. And I'm telling you, I get back and I am fast. And so I stretch 
and I move, and I'm telling you, I am flying, and I am like, I go, and I jump, and when I jump, there is some just like, whoa, that is incredible, that's impressive, and, and I jump, and I'm 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet, 25 feet, 30 feet, 35 feet from the edge of the canyon, and I'm like, I made it 35 feet, Oh. <laughs> Poof, down at the bottom <laughs> of the canyon. Well, clearly, you know, 10 feet, more than the 25 feet. It is sad that that is so often the manner with which I measure my own righteousness. That I'm, I'm, I'm better than the next person or, or, yeah, I might not be as good as so-and-so, but I'm better than... It's a false standard. And the Apostle Paul gives us this sobering realization. Okay, do you want to get to God by works, by the law? If you're going to come to God by the law and you offend in one point, you are guilty of all. That's a sobering realization. And for any Jew listening, because they connected to the law. We, we are all about keeping the law, the law, the law. But the law was just supposed to show them Jesus, his beauty, his perfection. The law is supposed to show them their inadequacy and their need of a savior. But they connected to the keeping of the law. He takes us beyond this to what we're going to call a significant clarification yeah, we have this sobering realization, but notice now this significant clarification. Okay, let's clarify what it is that you have to do to get to God. Let's begin in verse number 6, Romans 10, verse number 6. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or... Who shall descend into the deep? That is, to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? In other words, what does the scripture say? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith. Not works, the word of faith which we preach. Paul begins to help us realize there is another kind of righteousness that can be obtained. And what he's doing, he's quoting from a passage in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses used this. He used it to the same effect. And Paul brings it to its rightful end, its rightful conclusion. Notice what Moses said when he's using the same idea. For this commandment, which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldst say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldst say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. Now remember, Moses is the lawgiver. God's about to call him home. In Deuteronomy 33, we see that, that Moses now, his time is done. Deuteronomy 30, listen, don't worry. You have what you need. The people are starting to wonder, Moses, who's going to go up into the mount for us and talk to God? M Moses, who's going to part the Red Sea for us so that we can see the miracle working hand of God? And Moses says, no, 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 stop, stop all that. 
God's already provided for you all that you need. And now the Apostle Paul borrows that idea from the Old Testament. He says, hey, listen, some of you Jews, you're wondering like, okay, well, how, how can we do this? He says, listen, it's already been done. You have everything you need. What we have been preaching to you is a word of faith. You have to have faith. Now remember, faith always demands a right object. It's not faith and faith alone. It's not that I just have so much faith that, no, no, no. Faith in the right object. What's the object? Or rather, the, 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 the person, the focus of our faith. This is Jesus Christ. Faith in his substitutionary death. Like, oh, he died in my place. He died as God. He died satisfying God. He didn't stay dead. He became the first of many that will rise again. I have faith in the substitutionary, satisfactory death of Jesus Christ. What he accomplished can be applied to my account. And Apostle Paul saying, listen, you have everything you need. It's right there. Yeah, but what do I have to do? It's already been done. Do you know, he's saying the, the word is very nigh thee. Uh, who, are, who, who are we going to send to heaven is really what he says. Who are we going to send to heaven to bring Jesus down to us so that we can have this salvation? He says, no, no, you don't need that. Uh, who's, who's going to go into the grave and bring Christ up again? He says, you don't, need, you don't need that. He says, everything you need is right there. It's only for you to receive. You know, if, if I take my Bible and my Bible's sitting here and it's right here. And I say, hey, Dr. Zach, can you hand me my Bible? Well, it's a little presumptuous, isn't it, on my part? Come on, Dr. Zach, will you hand me my Bible, please? Listen, I'm, I'm not being silly about this. This is the same kind of thing that the Apostle Paul is saying. Why are you saying, how can we be saved? When he's saying, listen, the word's very nigh thee. I've given you what you need to be saved. Now, he's going to, he's going to concentrate it. We're going to see it in just a few moments where he just again says, okay, listen, here's what you do. You call upon the name of the Lord. I just don't know if I can be saved. Really? Could somebody, could somebody please hand me my Bible? Your Bible doesn't need to be handed to you. All you have to do is just accept it. It's, it's right there. It's very nigh thee. One commentary said, no heroic attempts to storm the citadel of heaven or the kingdom of the dead are needed. Christ the Savior is here, incarnate and risen. Christ has already come down. He's already risen from the dead. You need not do anything except by faith, except him. And so goes not only the life of Christ that brings salvation, but don't miss this please, so also is salvation life. The gospel is certainly the power of God unto salvation and is also the power of God unto sanctification. Don't be frightened by the word and don't tune out just because we use like, oh, sanctification. Don't, don't miss this. Sanctification, this is just this growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ that I more accurately reflect his glory, that I give others a clearer opinion of the greatness of my God. Sanctification, growing in the life of Christ. The gospel is the power for Christian life 
and for Christian living. Sometimes we come into the Christian life by the way of the gospel, but then we don't go on with the gospel to understand the reality of Christian living. Too often we believe it is sufficient for new life, but not powerful enough to change the way we live. That is terrible thinking. What were you instructed to do for salvation? Simply take what was being offered. This is the same principle that applies to the Christian life. It must be appropriated in the same manner by faith in a moment-by-moment basis. What do we know about the place of our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news? What do we know about the place of our faith in Christian living? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith is an absolute essential, not only for salvation, for for Christian life to be established, but for Christian living. Without faith, it is impossible to become a Christian. And without faith, it is impossible to live like one. You cannot become a Christian without faith, and you can't live like a Christian without it. Did you exhibit saving faith in Jesus Christ and his satisfactory work on the cross? It was something that could be accepted by simply reaching out to take what was offered. And so it is in the Christian life. It is continually living in light of the sufficiency of God and accepting what he is offering to do. You know, this is a simple question, and it's, again, forgive the silliness of it, but who here, who here, in a sense, like, oh, I could use 20 bucks. Who could use 20 bucks? Just raise your hand. Who would like 20 bucks? Really? There's a lot of coveting going on here. Let's <laughs> switch gears for just a moment. Okay. 20 bucks. Okay, so let's see. So I see Trevor Huff down here. So Trevor, why don't you, Trevor waved at me when we came out today. Trevor, come on up here and help me just briefly. So Trevor, I, I've known Trevor for a long time. I know his parents, his, his dad, Joel, was a roommate of mine in college and uh, he and Kim, wonderful family and great couple. 20 bucks, okay. Would you be willing to do something for me for 20 bucks? I guess it depends. Okay, now that's a really great answer. Come on over here. He said, I guess it depends. Okay, so. So, yeah, what's 20 bucks worth to you? Uh, not jumping off the Grand Canyon. Not jumping off the Grand Canyon. That's another good answer, but don't give any more because this is my sermon, okay? So, <laughs> okay, so Trevor said it depends. Okay, so Trevor, if I said, um, would you walk to my office for 20 bucks? He would, and my office is, is on this campus, and so it's across campus, it's a good ways. Would you walk to, um, would you walk to Eastfield, uh, Eastfield, for 20 bucks? Yes. Okay, let's see here. How about to, um, how about to Walmart? Would you walk to Walmart for 20 bucks? Now he's thinking about it. <laughs> so, would you walk to Walmart for 20 bucks? Probably not. Really? It's not worth 20 bucks? Let's see how far Walmart is from here. <laughs> I'm not going to see how far. But you wouldn't do that. Okay, so what, to Whataburger? Whataburger. We're talking Whataburger. I would do Whataburger, yeah. 
This is, this is quite, he's quite a deal maker right here. Okay. Okay, so I want you to do it. We have about um, eight minutes left in this service. So 20 bucks, Whataburger, back here, 20 bucks. Okay, you ready? In eight minutes? Yeah, because you said you were willing to do it. Oh, now he's fudging. Okay. <clears throat> Trevor, I'm not going to ask you to walk to Whataburger. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. See, you're, you're bartering for, is it worth it? I have to do, 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 do. That's such a lousy gospel picture. But isn't it interesting that that is the picture that you and I so often place in our minds regarding the gospel? Well, if I become a Christian, what do I have to do? The reality is, whatever is the Christian life, you can't do it. The flesh oftentimes tries to imitate it, but it can never accomplish it. There's only one who can do the Christian life. His name is Jesus, and then he sent himself, God. He says, I, I'm going to go away, but I'm going I'm to send another who is me, but not me. And that's the Holy Spirit. Do you know what you can't do to get yourself saved? You can't do to live the salvation life. The only thing that is necessary for salvation is accepting a gift. And you know the only way to live the Christian life is to function in the same principle. God, you're going to have to help me do what I can't do myself to live the Christian life. So I guess if you want 20 bucks, would you reach out and take 20 bucks? Because you're driving a hard bargain, you know. Like, I know you won't walk to Walmart for it, but would you reach out and take 20 bucks? You would? That's not too hard? No. Not asking too much? No. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> okay, let's see how you do with this. Here we go. We're going to, he is $20 richer. <laughs> Trevor, you demand. Thank okay, you. thank you. <laughs> you may now officially be seated. Yeah. But I'd like you to jump, no, I don't want you to do that. <laughs> You know, when we fail to do what God has invited us to do, biblically what we're talking about is failing of the grace of God. Now please don't, don't miss this as we wrap up these thoughts because this is so vital for Christian living. M many would know Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Okay. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, so grace, faith. Does grace finish itself at salvation? The Bible warns us about Christian living and why it would fail. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 15. It says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God fail of the grace of God. You say, well, what, what does that word mean? The word means this. In fact, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and, this is the same Greek word as fail, for all have sinned and come short of, for all have sinned and fail of the grace of God. Okay, so I received the grace of God for salvation. And do you know what he's continually inviting us to do? This is this significant clarification. I need grace for salvation. I can't get there. If I do it by the law, it's the whole law. That's a startling realization. What do I have to do? Let's give some clarification. Everything's already been done. That's true for salvation. It is true for your sanctification. 
What, what is my danger? To fail, to come short of the grace of God for salvation, yes. But that's also true in my sanctification, my Christian living. In Hebrews 4.16, we have this other invitation. Let us therefore come boldly, where? To the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I have what I need. Are you telling yourself regarding certain areas of your life that you simply can't do it? I cannot do the Christian life. I've tried. Think about those words. I've tried and I just can't do it. Wrong conclusion because it's actually the wrong practice. The good news is that God, by his grace, enables us to do whatever is necessary to demonstrate the life of Christ through us. Now, let's make this uncomfortable for for just a few moments. Personally, uncomfortable. If you're married in here, how many of you are loving your wife as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it? In Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Well, she's too demanding. She doesn't respect me. She won't follow me. None of these qualify as exemptions from loving your wife. So do you love your wife as Christ also loved the church? I can't, true. So have have you stormed the throne of grace to find exactly what you needed, grace to help in time of need. Let's ask this question. Have you found that it's difficult to be following your husband? You know, okay, so husbands, are you loving your wife? Wives, are you following your husbands? Coming underneath his protective care. I know this is not politically correct in the day in which we live, but it's biblically accurate. Notice what scripture says, Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. That's not, by the way, all men. It's not that, well, women are just supposed to be subject. No, 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 wives, come underneath the protective care of your own husband. As unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. You may say something like this, well, my husband moved us here to Pensacola. I don't like it here in Pensacola, but that's not really the point. Maybe you won't like it here until you come under the protective headship of your husband and accept the grace of God. You may even say, I'd be much happier if he'd give me what I want. But you may find that what you get, not only in a change of situation, but in the changes that this would bring in your husband, are not really what you wanted after all. How about those of you that say, I can't deny my flesh. I can't stop looking at something. I can't stop watching something. I'm addicted to social media. I'm addicted to immoral content. I'm consumed with my appearance. I'm controlled by my varying appetites of my flesh. I've tried and I can't stop. Then we're in a sense calling God a liar. There hath no temptation taken you. That's an all-inclusive statement. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, not me. 
I'm not the faithful one. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape. Why? So that ye may be able to bear it. Ultimately, we must go back to our charter, our foundation, our fountainhead of truth, the scriptures, which say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Can you be saved? Absolutely. Christ has already come down from heaven and been raised up from the dead. You can be saved. Okay, I'm saved. Now can I live the Christian life? Absolutely. The same grace that saved us is the grace that will sustain us. Listen to how both of these come together in Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Bring salvation. That grace, it's available for any. Teaching us. Now this is the Christian life. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. That's the Christian life. Same grace. Verse number eight in Romans, but what saith he? The word is very nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. The faith that is available for you to become a Christian is the same faith available for you to live like one. Therefore, being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also, now this is the Christian life. Okay, justified by faith, by whom also, same faith, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Again, do you see that the faith that is available for you to become a Christian is the same faith available to you to live like one? You know, he, he closes with this superlative declaration. Let's, let's just read it so we see it. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He goes on and he says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's quite a sobering realization. If I'm trying to impress God by keeping the laws, then I have just subjected myself to all the law. That's sobering. God, I I don't want to try to keep the whole law. There's only one who did so, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let him be my representative head. Then he gives us this helpful, this significant clarification. Everything's been taken care of. Everything's been done. Jesus has come down. Jesus has been raised up. Everything you need for salvation, done. Christian, everything you need for sanctification, done. And then this superlative declaration, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. My friend, if you have not, you can be 
saved.